Welcome to the Journey Church Houston podcast. The Journey is a church plant in Houston, Texas, inviting people on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. Whether you are a skeptic, a spiritual seeker, or a committed follower of Jesus Christ, we pray this podcast engages your heart and your mind with the truth claims of Christianity, why it is believable, and how it makes sense of our lives and the world. And we hope you are inspired to take your next step in your spiritual journey. In this episode, I, Mace, conclude our series of lessons on the journey's core values. In this lesson, we discuss our missional value. Everyone is already on a spiritual journey, and we get to walk alongside them. We call living intentionally to this end being missional. Jesus gave us a mission to make disciples or the way we like to say it, to invite people on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. This is our duty, and this is our delight. So, let's take a listen as I teach on the journey's missional value. So, we are continuing our series. This is actually the last lesson in our series on our core values. And before we get into our value for tonight... Last week, Stephen taught us about our relational value, and his call to action was to think of someone, whether it's someone here in our core group on our mission team, or someone who doesn't yet know the Lord, or is maybe unconnected to a a church community, and to try to schedule a time to grab lunch or coffee or get get, get together with them somehow. And so just want to start and ask, um, did anybody have the opportunity to schedule whether or not you got to actually meet with them? Did you, were you able to try to get something on the books? If you actually were able to meet with them, you know, how did that go? Any updates on our, our call to action from last week? We haven't gotten anything on the books yet because she's been sick, but once she's all better, we're going to get together. That's great. Uh, protecting confidentiality. Is it someone from the group oh, or someone from the group? From the yeah. group. Great. Okay. Awesome. I will. Not yet. I mean, okay. Do you have someone in mind? Uh, I do. Okay. Is it someone from the group or someone? Someone else. Okay. That's great. That's great. That's great that you're thinking about. Yeah, y'all, y'all have had a lot going on. Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. Well, I got to have a really good conversation this last week. So Stephen and I were meeting at Boomtown Coffee the other day, and I was wearing my Journey polo shirt and had a gentleman... Uh, approached me and asked, hey, you know, you saw my shirt and he said, what's the journey? And so I got to tell him, you know, introduce him and say, hey, I'm Mace. This is my friend, Stephen. We're planting a church in the, the area. And he was like, well, tell me a little bit about that. So I told him a little bit about it. And I asked him, I said, do you have any faith commitment? Are you part of a, a faith tradition? And he told me that he had recently embraced Islam. 
And so I told him I would love to get together with him sometime over coffee or lunch and hear a little bit more of his story. And so I was able to do that this past Thursday and got to hear a little bit of his story of how he came to embrace Islam. I, and as part of that conversation, I got to share my own story. I got to share the gospel with him. And while just, you know, transparently, it got to the point in the conversation where I was trying to gently ask questions that pointing out some inconsistencies in his worldview, I felt like I was kind of hitting a wall at, at some point. It was still a good conversation. I think the door is very much open to continued conversation. So I'm hoping for that to be the case. So I love just hearing um, that it's, it's on y'all's minds and the steps that y'all are, are taking. As we transition into our topic for this evening, I want to start with a question. What is a movie or a show or a restaurant or it could be really anything, anything right now that you're super excited about that you have just been telling anybody and everybody that will listen? Cilantro. Okay, so for the uninitiated, what is cilantro? Tell you about it. It's delicious. It's Korean barbecue chipotle style. So it's amazing. You get to choose. They have some pre-selected bowls that they've come up with, or you can build your own from scratch, and it's amazing. So it's it's like chipotle but Korean barbecue. It's awesome. So just was telling somebody about it yesterday. That's awesome. Yeah. See, there's a whole trend, right? Like of restaurants, like it's like chipotle, but Fill in the style of the food. This is a Korean barbecue, Chipotle style. I like it. <laughs> okay. 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 That's great. That's awesome. I don't get real excited about movies or restaurants, so that's really a difficult question. But if it's a new commentary on the pastoral epistles, yeah, <laughs> then you'll tell everybody yeah, about it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Good. So m mine has been CPAP machines, <laughs> believe it or not. I, for whatever reason, in the last like month, there's been like, literally four or five different people that I start talking to about CPAP machines. Um, for one reason or another, it's like people will tell me like, oh, I'm just so tired all the time. I can't figure it out. I'm like, have you gotten a sleep study? Or I was at this pastor's retreat a couple weeks ago and they were all, we were trying to figure out rooming situation. They're like, well, I snore. Do you snore? I was like, well, I did snore. So I got my CPAP machine. So I, I've, I've become like a sleep study slash CPAP evangelist uh, recently and just for whatever reason over the last several weeks that's been a regular topic of conversation yeah if you need one then you'll get a good night's sleep exactly right it's a life changer so my point is this whether it's a movie or a restaurant or a show or a commentary whatever it is we naturally love talking about the things that we are most excited about and that we believe will be good for others that we think everybody's life would be better if they ate at cava or cilantro or if they got a CPAP machine 
or if they watch The Mandalorian or whatever it is that we think everyone's life would be better if they fill in the blank and we just look for any and every opportunity to talk about that with people. For Christians, as it relates to talking about our faith, we have a word for that and that's called evangelism. Now, when I say that word, probably one of two different feelings instinctively wells up inside of you, either confusion or fear. Either you're confused, you think, you know, I've heard Christians use that word before, but if I'm honest, I, I don't really know what that means, evangelism. I don't really know what that is. Or you think, oh, I know exactly what evangelism means, and it scares me to death. And so I want to spend some time talking about that. And so first, I want to answer the question, what is evangelism? And then second, once we all have an agreed-upon understanding about what evangelism is, the second question I want to answer tonight is how can we overcome the fear that we all naturally feel when it comes to evangelism? So what is evangelism? Believe it or not, the word evangelism is related to the word gospel, another word that many of us have probably heard uh, a bunch of times. Gospel comes from an old English word that means good news. And so we'll hear that often, right? The gospel is good news. And that's what the evangel is, where we get the word evangelism from. So gospel comes from Old English. Evangelism, the evangel, comes from Greek. It's a transliteration of a Greek word, uh, the euangelion. So in Greek, you means good. So I used to be a band director, and there's an instrument called the euphonium that's known for its warm, rich sound. So literally, it's the, the good-sounding instrument, right? Or at a memorial service or a funeral, a person or maybe several people will go up and give a eulogy. They will speak good words about someone. They will speak well of someone. And so the evangel is the good news. It is the good uh, story. And it's the good message. And so that's what the gospel is. It means good news. And so evangelism means sharing the good news. So what is this good news that we're supposed to be sharing? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote a helpful summary of the good news to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He wrote, Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel, the good news, which I preach to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold firmly to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I handed down to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And so I want to break down this, this passage. What do y'all notice in these verses as it relates to the gospel? What, is, what does Paul talk about?
Right. That, so two things there, right? So one, the gospel, uh, at least an element of the gospel is Christ's death for our sins. And then the, the second is that it was according to the scriptures that everything that Christ did in his life, death, and resurrection was pointed to and prepared for by the, the Old Testament scripture. That's good. What else y'all notice? How does... What are various elements of the gospel that we see in this passage? Um, I love that Paul says, well, he received this gospel. He didn't think of it as like his own stuff. You know, he is handing down what somebody else handed down to him. Yeah, absolutely. So this gospel is a, a message that has, has been handed down and is continuing to, to be passed on. It's interesting that baptism is not mentioned here, even mm. though he says that it's by this that you are saved in verse 2. Yeah, yeah. I think that's significant. Right. So there, there are some traditions that would claim that baptism is required for salvation. We would believe that everyone who has placed their faith in Christ, we would encourage them to be baptized. But um, at least not in this summary of the gospel, baptism doesn't show up. Yeah. I already alluded to one. I kind of already gave this one away, but Paul talked about Christ's death. But what does he talk about happened after Christ died? His resurrection, right? So part of the an element of the gospel is Christ's resurrection on the third day. How does... Um, how does, in verse 2, Paul describe how the gospel is received? We talked about it being received. What, what does Paul say about how it's received? You have to hold fast to it. You have to cling to it. Yes. By faith, right? That unless you believed in vain. So this is a message to be received. Yeah, that we need to cling to it. We need to hold fast to it by faith. Another one that's kind of, of hidden in there, but the word Christ. Christ is the Greek word, the translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, which means anointed one. And so this good news is about the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the king who would come to save God's people. And then... Um, Verses 5 through 18, what does Paul talk about that corroborates the, the resurrection that Francois pointed out to us? Right, that there was witnesses. He, he lists a whole litany of them, right? Like, and he names several of them by name. He's like, hey, don't take my word for it. Go ask Cephas. Go ask James. He, he appeared to 500 people at, at one time most of whom are, are still alive. That's good. Or another famous verse that people will often point to when they're talking about what the gospel is, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
And then one other famous gospel passage that you hear about a lot, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not yourselves, it is the gift, it is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so we could summarize all of this, not just these verses, but the entire scriptural revelation, and we might say this, that the gospel is the good news that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so evangelism means simply sharing this good news with others. And so hopefully, we're all a little bit less confused at this point, but how do we overcome the fear that we all experience when it comes to sharing this good news with others? And so I want to share some good news with you all, no pun intended. Often in evangelism, we feel like it's all up to us to get the, the spiritual ball rolling, but that's not true. It's already rolling. And so I want to encourage us this morning or this evening that everyone is already on a spiritual journey, whether they realize it or not. And so I want to spend some time looking at a passage of scripture that I think illustrates this well. We're going to look at Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 34. It's kind of a long passage. The, the verses will be up on the screen, but if you have a copy of the scriptures handy on your phone or something, you may want to pick, uh, grab that, but it's, it's not necessary. So several weeks ago, we encouraged everyone to, to be reading through the Bible together, and we talked about it, that if you read five days a week, one chapter a day between when we started and when the end of the year that you could read through Luke, you could read through Acts, and you could read through Romans. And so if you've been following along, we're about halfway through the Gospel of Luke. The next book that we will get to is Acts, which is the sequel to Luke. So Luke tells of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and then Acts tells the story of the early church. And where we're going to be in the story of Acts 16 is the Apostle Paul, his life has been radically transformed by Jesus, and now he is on a mission to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And the passage we're going to look at today describes how the gospel came and began to bear fruit in the city of Philippi. And this passage is, is broken up into three scenes, so we're going to take it one scene at a time. And for each scene, I want us to ask three questions. Where were the people Paul and his companions interacted with on their spiritual journey? Number two, how did Paul and his companions reach them with the gospel based on where they were in their spiritual journey? And number three, what might some modern day equivalents be? So the first scene we're going to look at is Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. So after setting sail from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were spending some days in this city, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were thinking that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia was listening. She was a seller of purple fabrics from the city of Thyatira and a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. 
And so looking at this scene, where was Lydia on her spiritual journey when Paul and his companions encountered her? Still searching? She was searching, right? She was spiritually seeking, right? That we, she was um, likely a Gentile convert to Judaism. So she probably had some familiarity with the, the Hebrew scriptures and that she was taking part in this, this prayer group. Some scholars say that maybe there wasn't enough um, Jews in the area to have a full synagogue. Maybe that's uh, where this prayer group was, um, kind of what they were doing. And how did Paul and his companions reach Lydia with the gospel based on where she was in, the, in her spiritual journey? Yeah, they came to her, and likely, again, scholars think that maybe this prayer group was kind of a uh, a nascent version of what would happen in a larger city in the synagogue, and so we see in other places in Acts how Paul preached the gospel to the Jews in the synagogue, that he's reasoning with them based on their, their shared understanding of the Hebrew scriptures, that they already were, had a a category in their mind of the Messiah. They were already looking for the Messiah. And so Paul simply goes in and reasons with them to try to persuade them that Jesus was the Messiah that they were waiting and hoping for. And so what might some modern day equivalents to, to Lydia be? People maybe who have heard about Christianity or someone gave them the Bible or yeah. that, and they've, they've just been looking into it, but they, they haven't come to a place where they really know the gospel well, or if they do know it, they haven't made a decision to give their life to Christ. Yeah, absolutely. People that are spiritually searching, people that maybe have some exposure to Christianity, maybe even some people that might call themselves Christians, but haven't fully grasped the gospel or are not um, fully committed to their Christian faith. There's a, a book that just came out recently. I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's on this category of people that we we label as the de-churched. And the way they describe it in this book is it's people that at one point attended church at least monthly, but now it attend, I think it was one time a year or less, something to that effect. And so they, they looked at all this data and kind of categorized, you know, within this broader population called the de-church, various subcategories. And one of the categories of people that they, they talk about in there that came to my mind as I was thinking about this question is who they call the, the casually de-churched. And what they were saying is, as you look at the data, about half of the people that are categorized as de-churched, the reason why they no longer attend church is because they moved. They're very much open to church. They're very much open to Jesus. And they would attend a church if someone would just invite them. You know, so that was someone who came to my mind. Looking ahead in Acts chapter 16 at the next scene, so right after Paul and his companions encounter Lydia, Verse 16, it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave woman who had a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing great profit to her masters by fortune telling. 
She followed Paul and us and cried out repeatedly, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High, who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. Now she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed, and he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. So same three questions. Maybe someone that hasn't gotten a chance to answer yet. Uh, first one, where was the slave woman on her spiritual journey when Paul and his companions encountered her? Yeah, she was demon-possessed, right? Uh, she, she had a spirit of divination, it said. How did Paul and his companions reach this slave woman with the gospel based on where she was? Say that again. Yeah, delivered her, right? They, they spoke the gospel uh, boldly to her, and she was delivered. And so then our last question, what might some modern-day equivalents to this slave woman be? Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. So whether or not we want to claim all those people are demon possessed, there are definitely people, you know, you know, trying to make a buck fortune telling. Right. Um, and I think there is, you know, there is um, an increasing population that are, are not just open to, but actively seeking the occult. I think there's a university in the UK that I just heard about that now you can literally get your, it's, it's at least a class. I think you can get your degree in it. So here in our own city, apparently, you can get your uh, certificate at Rice University. Um, right, yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to withhold my comments as I hold my UH mug on against Rice here. <laughs> but I'll let that speak for itself. Um, or I just saw, I don't know if you all remember Kat Von D. Um, I think she had a TV show or was a social media influencer or something, but was uh, she's a tattoo artist and very into the occult. Well, about a year or two ago, she threw away all of her books dealing with the occult and just a few weeks ago was baptized. Oh, wow. And so I, I thought of her as a modern day equivalent or kind of maybe to Francois' point of, you know, people being in bondage, spiritual bondage that we may not you know, always think of as overtly like demon possession. I'm not saying they're demon possessed, but like definitely that sense of bondage. Another population that I thought of was people in, in addiction, right? That they are, they're in bondage to alcohol or drugs or sex or whatever their particular bondage might be, right? So there, there are people in these, in bondage that we have an opportunity to reach with the gospel. 
And then one final scene from Acts chapter 16. So this is after Paul uh, delivers this young woman from her possession. And so presumably she loses her fortune-telling powers and her masters aren't too happy about it. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was suddenly gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men, Jews as they are, are causing our whole city trouble, and they are proclaiming customs that are not lawful for us to accept or to practice, since we are Romans. The crowd joined in and attacked against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison, commanding their jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, thinking that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer asked for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of God to him, together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them, and was overjoyed, since he had become a believer in God, together with his whole household. So, same three questions. First, where was the jailer? on his spiritual journey when Paul and his companions encountered him. Admittedly, you have to read between the lines a little bit on this one. So he's a Gentile. He was likely a pagan, right? And um, what we know, if we do a little bit of cultural background work, is that his allegiance was probably to the state and his career. He was likely a retired military officer who was now in charge of the prison. And his identity and his allegiance was so much to the state that when he thought that he had failed in his job, he was so torn up by that and ashamed by that that he was ready to kill himself. Well, I think he would have been put to death. Right, right. Absolutely. And so rather than, you know, allow himself to face that punishment. He's like, I'll just do the deed myself. So how did Paul and his companions reach the jailer with the gospel based on where he was in his spiritual journey? Yeah. So the, the jail was, you know, miraculously opened, but... But what did Paul do? He stayed. he stayed, right? So, and this was after, you know, they'd been suffering, after Paul and Silas are, are singing hymns in, in this 
in this prison and then then they stay. So they acted differently, right? They lived differently than a typical non-believer would. And that incited this jailer's spiritual curiosity. And so what might some modern day equivalents to the jailer be? Absolutely right. Yeah, people that are devoting themselves um, to secular causes above the Lord, right? So uh, it's good to work hard. I do believe Christians should be active in the political sphere. But anytime we put those things in the place of the Lord, we give our ultimate allegiance to those things. Um, That's a problem, right? And often it's when that thing fails them, right? When the wrong political leader gets in office or when they lose that job or when they go through that divorce, they have some sort of curveball that life hits them with that they tend to be more open to the gospel. So again, the, the main point is this, that everybody is already on a spiritual journey. Journey. Your neighbor's on a spiritual journey. Your co-worker's on a spiritual journey. The other parents at the ball field are on a spiritual journey. The barista that you you see every day when you get your coffee is on a spiritual journey. And we get to walk alongside them. And the word that we use for having this understanding that everybody's on a spiritual journey and that it's our duty and our delight to walk alongside them in their journey and to try to live intentionally to that end, the word that we use for that is missional which is our fourth and final core value. And the word missional is kind of a churchy word. It's just an adjective form of the word mission. And as Christians, our mission is the great commission. We've talked about this passage before. These are the marching orders that Jesus gave his disciples after his resurrection. To go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. So first, it's to go. There's an inherent sentness to the Christian life, which, which is actually where we get the word mission from. It's the word to sin. And the core, um, you know, uh, if Ramsey were up here, he would be talking about how the main verb in this passage is the verb to make disciples, that all, all the rest are participles. So the core of this mission is to make disciples. That is to spread the gospel, inviting people to become followers of Jesus Christ. And as they put their faith in Christ, to baptize them, which we'll talk more about in a a future lesson, that that's inviting them to make a public profession of their faith. But it's more than that. It's also welcoming them as members of the Christian community. And then finally, teaching them that as they are part of our Christian community, that we get to walk alongside them to help them grow in their faith. Now, some of you who are super sharp, definitely anybody who's ever been in a Bible study with me, you know, maybe thinking, okay, Mace, I've, I've sat in a Bible study with you before. I know the first three rules of Bible interpretation, context, context, context. In this original context, Mace, Jesus is not talking to us. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his 
apostles and we're not them. So how do we know that this commission, this great commission, is not just the apostles' mission? How do we know that this is our mission too? And that's a very legitimate question. To that, I would give two answers. One, I would say that broadly speaking, the apostles here are, are representatives of the church. They are the leaders that are going to start this new movement called the church. And so, yes, it's the apostles' mission, but more broadly speaking, it's the church's mission. And we are part of the same church <coughs> that the apostles started. Um, but beyond that, the last thing that Jesus commands the apostles to do is to teach them to follow all that I commanded you. And so does the command to make disciples, is that included in the all commands? I, I think yes. So this mission is our mission, to go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. Or the way that we like to say it around here is to invite people on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. What does that all look like practically? We will cover this in greater depth in, in future lessons. But we believe these are the main steps in a person's spiritual journey. Be known, be curious, believe, belong, become the sent. So first, a non-Christian has to be known. That they have to have people who know and love Jesus in their life that take time to get to know and love them. It's why... One of the first things that Jennifer and I did when we moved into this home was we hosted a series of block parties so we could invite our neighbors over to our home and get to know them. <clears throat> As someone begins to be known and begins to see Christians living based on a different story, that they would be curious. This is what Stephen talks about when he talks about that scene in The Hobbit where Bilbo Baggins is going about his way, living his good life in the Shire. And then he meets this wizard and these dwarves who are singing songs of mountains and gold and dragons and adventure. And his, his curiosity is stirred and he realized maybe there's something more, maybe there's something bigger that he could be giving his life to. I think that's what we saw with the jailer and Paul and Silas. And that opens up opportunities for us to get to share our faith with people and invite them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when someone does believe, we invite them to belong. We invite them to make a public declaration of their faith in baptism, invite them to become a member of our local church community. And as they engage in our local church community, that they, along with us all, would become maturing and growing disciples of Jesus Christ and then finally that they would be sent to go live on mission and that they would go out and make more disciples, that they would go out and find more people in their spheres of influence that they could get to know and get to invite to, on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. Everyone is already on a spiritual journey and we get to walk alongside them. So here's what I want us all to do. I want us all to think of and write down our top five. What I might mean by that is I want you to think through the people in your life, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, places that you frequent. And I want you to come up with and write down the names of five people that either don't know Jesus and or 
they're not already connected into a local church community. So maybe they claim to know Jesus, but they might be in that category of the de-churched that we talked about earlier. And once you have your top five, I want you to do three things. First, I want you to share your top five with your prayer partner in just a minute. And second, I want you to put those names somewhere you will see them. And I want you to begin to cultivate a habit of praying for your top five by name every single day. Remember, they're already on a spiritual journey. You're not having to get the spiritual ball rolling. The Lord is already working in their lives. And so be praying to that end and be praying for opportunities to invite them on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. And then lastly, I want you to invite them to our block party that we're going to be holding next next week. Sophia is going to tell us a little bit about that in just a moment. But um, the idea with these fun events like this block party that we want to do every four to six weeks is that these would be easy invite opportunities to invite your top five to, the people in your life that don't yet know Jesus or aren't yet involved in, in Christian community. is an opportunity for us to just continue to build that relationship, not just you, but the other members of this core group. And so think of your top five, share them with your prayer partner, pray for them by name every day and invite them to our uh, block party. And my closing encouragement to you is this, that as you do this, as you pray for your top five, as you seek to engage them in conversation, as you seek to have opportunities to share the gospel with them, you're not alone. You have us, but more importantly, you have the Lord. That after Jesus gave his disciples the great commission, he, he said these words. He said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Lord is with you. He's already working in their lives and he's already working in yours. Everyone is already on a spiritual journey. And we simply get to walk alongside them as we walk with the Lord. And so let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Father, we thank you that first and foremost, you have invited us into your spiritual family, that you have reached us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that you have brought us to the point where we have placed our faith in Jesus for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life. And thank you for the opportunity that we get to walk alongside others. And so we pray for open eyes to see those that you have already placed in our lives to um, get to engage with the gospel, to get to know, to get to stir up their spiritual curiosity and get to share the good news of Jesus Christ that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we can have forgiveness of sins and eternal life because of the finished work of Jesus, because of his life, death, and resurrection. So help us encourage one another as we seek to live out this mission, as we seek to be a missional church, inviting people on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Journey Church Houston podcast. For more resources and to connect with us, including to learn how you can be a part of the journey, visit thejourneyhouston.org.